We are launching a brand new series today entitled Living into the Kingdom. This is part one, and I entitled today's message Kings and Kingdoms. Now, if you are brand new to Bridgeway, we do yearly themes here, and this has been the year of the king. We kicked it off with a 23-part series uh, called the King Series, and we went through Israel's history of all the kings that they had. They had good kings, they had bad kings, they had complicated kings. We took selections of each. We went through the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and really kept asking the question, if that was their king, who is your king? We asked it over and over and over. Who is the king of your life? Who's the king of your life? Is it you? Because in general, that tends to be the number one king, at least in modern day America, is that we would say, I'm my own king, I do my own thing, I call my own shots. You can always find out who the king is by figuring out who sets the agenda for you, who's the one that sets your priority list. That's how you know who your king is. So once again, the mighty king of self is very high and reigning these days. So we kept asking, is that your king? or is it King Jesus? We followed it up with a four-part series uh, called Cleaning Up the Kingdom through the book of Zechariah. Now, that is the, probably the only time you've ever had a series through the book of Zechariah. And we had all of our teachers kind of come in and be a part of that. But here's what they kept telling us. When it looks like evil is winning, it's not. God is still on the throne. When it looks like you're going to be abandoned, you're not. God is still on the throne. As a matter of fact, no matter what circumstances say, God is on the throne because he's the one and true God. Amen? Now, what we're going to do is transition now into a nine-part series where we're going to study what does it mean to live into the kingdom? What kind of kingdom is King Jesus running, and how ought we then to live. I mean, that's kind of the practical way we're going to do it. Now, um, when Jesus taught parables, y'all know that he taught parables, right? He would tell these stories from everyday life and kind of put meaning into them and stuff. The majority of all of his parables were talking about this subject, the subject of what is the kingdom like? Because when Jesus came in, after thousands of years of the Old Testament, he said, we're changing some things up. And they said, how? And he said, well, let me tell you a story. And so it's parable after parable after parable to talk about the new way of doing things. So the first three messages of the series, I'm going to lay out what the kingdom of God is, spark your inspiration, spark your uh, creativity and your imagination to be able to say, whoa, 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 if that's true, what in the world? How does that work out? Then the following six parts, we're going to go through the parables of Jesus and practically talk about what it means, all right? So the first three are a bit more theoretical. The last six are a bit more practical. So we're going to certainly dive into that here in a moment. But everything is about kings and kingdoms. Wherever there is power, wherever there is influence, fame, money, Anything that elevates one person over another, there's going to be people vying for that power. Our whole world history has been emperors and dictators and kings and rulers, and right? I mean, we've had all those filling that gap, telling the people, here's how things run. Well, the big question is, what kind of king is Jesus and what kind of kingdom 
does he want to lead? And I want to kind of blow your mind with one concept as I lead you into the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. You all know the Lord's Prayer? Lord's Prayer. Now, how you say the Lord's Prayer really depends on your age and background, right? Because there are some of you that use Old English in there, right? The only way you memorized it was, and you have to say it in a British accent, (laughs) right? So you do the things, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? That kind of idea. If you have a hallowed, you're really old school, right? If you can do a hallowed, you're a little more modern. Now, it says, our Father which, are, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we really get excited. Give us this day our daily bread. You're like, yeah, I'm getting something here. And then we start talking about forgive us our, is it trespasses or debts? You know what I'm saying, right? Like, it, it all depends. Now, What's intriguing is if you get excited as it moves forward, you miss the whole, what, crux of the issue. What is the crux of the issue? It's the line before that stuff. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what's mind-blowing about that. You most all know the prayer, and you kept saying it. Do you know what you're talking about? Because for most of us, we think Jesus One day, may your kingdom come. That is incorrect. It's right now. How do we know that? Because when it comes, when Jesus' kingdom comes, it will be on earth as it is in heaven. And we're not praying about that because there will be a new heavens and a new earth and everything will be refashioned. So there's no need to pray for that. That is a promise. That's a lock. And you go, well, well, I've always said it as if, Lord, that'll be great when you come. Well, that's fine that you did that. All I'm telling you is that's not how it was intended. It was intended to say right now, let your kingdom be realized and manifested here in the world with the same authority and freedom and power as it is in heaven right now. A modern kingdom of God right here in the midst of a broken world. So what's the kingdom of God? Very simply, it's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It is this, God's kingdom is where he rules. God's kingdom is where he rules. It is less of a location and more of a concept. God's kingdom is where he rules. Now, here's why I think this series matters so much, is that too many of us are living like the real blessings of God are waiting for us in the future, but that's not entirely true. Yes, there are glorious things awaiting us, but there are glorious things available right now. I don't think the majority of us understand how much Jesus Christ altered reality. I don't think that we are living in the power, the authority, the blessings, the victory, the freedom, or the purpose that we have because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's more, y'all, that too many of us are looking future and missing today. Now, Of course, we are only receiving a foretaste, a down payment, partial now. And yes, there will be a glorious future. If you believe that, you are correct. All I'm saying is it's not the end of the story. 
For example, there is healing today. Later on, there will be no more, what, death. That there is restoration today. One day, there will be no more tears at all. So yes, everything we have now is in part, but it's still legit. It's still real. And too many of us are only living for the kingdom of tomorrow and not recognizing the power of the kingdom today. So that's what we're going to lean into a lot in this series. It is a new way of looking at reality. So if you want to know what it looks like to fully live out the kingdom, I can tell you in one word, Jesus. Jesus, he lived it out. It's interesting because Jesus went public with a message. His first message was this. Repent means change your mind. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It doesn't say repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. It says repent, the kingdom of God is here now. And you go, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Well, as a matter of fact, he shows exactly what it means. Would you turn with me to Matthew 4, 23? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, if you don't have a Bible, Grab one under the seat in front of you, and that is page 809, 809. I'm reading out of the ESV, Matthew 4, 23. After Jesus reveals that the kingdom of God is here, he demonstrates what he means. And it's very clear, it's not ambiguous. It says this, and he, meaning Jesus, went throughout all northern Israel or Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Until our lives reflect Jesus, we are not yet fully living into kingdom reality. Is this mind-blowing? Yes, it is. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. If we want to talk about the kingdom of God, we got to talk about power flowing and that reality of heaven shows up here. Huh, well, how does that work? This is where most of us default into a safety zone, right? We need our little comfort zone because we're going, well, my life does not fully reflect Jesus, so I need to feel better about myself right now. So I'm going to hide in the fact that Jesus was God, and I'm not God, so quite frankly, I'm always going to be way below in the curve, right? There's a Jesus here, and I'm way down here. Now, to some degree, you're correct, but I want to remind you of something that is probably startling to most of you. Jesus' life on earth was not a demonstration of his deity side. It was a demonstration of his earthly side. What does that mean? He was showing you a concrete example of what's possible through a fully surrendered human. If he would have been demonstrating his deity, we have a whole different ballgame. 
All of a sudden, he's calling down, you know, angels are coming and they're wrecking stuff and he's melting things down. I mean, oh, one day you'll see his deity. He was only showing you the earthly side. And you're like, man, but that was kind of crazy. Once again, we default in and we go, yeah, well, maybe he was specially anointed. He's a different, I mean, he's he's pure and he's perfect, right? Okay, here's what he told his disciples, his 12 apostles. He said this, as you go out on my behalf, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. Whoa, I'm sorry, what did he just say? When you say the kingdom of God just showed up, people get up from the dead. Uh, That's a little freaky, right? I don't know how many of you are dead raisers, right? You're just walking around like, no, grandma's back. And she comes back in, and she's like, you guys screwed up my recipe. How dare you? You know, that kind of stuff. Now, this is where, once again, we go, yeah, but that was the 12 apostles. I mean, those are the guys that hung out with them all the time. That was the head of the church. That was kind of just them. Well, that is until he sent out 72 more. And he said this, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. If you want to talk about what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be present in the life of a believer, they just did it. There you go. Is this mind-blowing? Yes, it is. It's paradigm shifting. And for a lot of us, it's hard to take because what I'm telling you is that we're all living a tame version of kingdom living. I'm telling you, we haven't scratched the surface. That's unsettling. Now, let's be very clear. What I'm not telling you is God's mad at you. I'm not telling you that, oh, you're not a good Christian. I'm not telling you that Jesus can't move through you. I'm not telling you any of that. We are seeing great things happen. We are seeing mighty victories. We're seeing amazing things of transformation. What I'm telling you is there's more. That's what I'm telling you right? So this is not a guilt thing. This is an inspiration thing, right? There's more to it. And I want to also share something else that I found very interesting. Um, And that is, have you ever wondered why there is so much demon casting in the New Testament? Like, it doesn't seem like there's a bunch of stories about demons. You figured one would be sufficient, right? But it seems like it's one after the other after the other. And you go, why is there so much demon casting in the New Testament? Did they have like a Ghostbusters breakout? You know what I mean? Where it was like, wow, we got a big infestation of demons around here. We got to get some of these out of here, right? Uh, No. What's funny is many of us are like, man, the Middle East must have a lot of demons. We don't have any in America. (laughs) Such garbage. (laughs) Right? Let me explain why. There's a very simple reason. When Jesus came in, he came in to wreck the kingdom of Satan. And because Satan had set up a rebellious kingdom, and Jesus said, oops, the owner just showed up, and I'm going to make your life really miserable. And you have a kingdom invasion. So what Jesus was doing was reminding everyone around, I'm the boss. You don't get to stay here, get out. You don't get to stay here, get out. You don't get to stay here, get out. You're oppressing my people, not gonna happen, get out. 
And he started setting everyone free, demonstrating that the kingdom of darkness can't stand where the kingdom of light shows up. And it keeps casting all the darkness out. It's why he was demonstrating because it was a massive kingdom invasion. Y'all following? All right. Now, what he's saying and what I'm saying is that we carry on the work of Christ that wherever Satan has someone bound, it is our job to set them free. You ever heard the phrase binding and loosing? Did you realize that's actually about people? Interesting. What I'm gonna do through this series is begin to talk about how we carry that out, but I also wanna have this disclaimer. I don't fully know what I'm talking about. That's unsettling, is it not? You guys, it would be one thing if I came up here dogmatically and was like, okay, you need to do this, this, this. When we're going to do casting, we're doing this. And if we're going to do healing, we're doing this. And I could sit there and lay that all out for you. First of all, that's not my style of leadership. What I try to do is inspire and allow the Lord to guide and lead you in your own individual design to see what the kingdom looks like manifested in you, right? I'm not interested in a bunch of robots or copycats. I'm interested in you being you for Jesus, So first of all, that's not my style, but second of all, I don't have it all figured out. When I'm talking about this new reality, I'm still learning. We're in the journey together. We're figuring it out. Let's say, for example, you hear my whole series and you go, I don't know if I necessarily agree with Pastor Lance. That's fine. All I'm telling you is what is your answer? If Jesus came down and started wrecking sin, death, and the devil, How's that looking in your life? If indeed he gave you the Holy Spirit to where literal heaven, because heaven is where God is, literal heaven dwells in you, how's that manifesting? Let's say you don't agree with me. What is it then? Because we all have to have an answer for it. And at what point are we going to excuse ourselves from not looking like Jesus in action? So what is that? I don't know, but we have to figure it out because there's a lot more freedom to be experienced. There's a lot more authority. There's a lot more power. Jesus didn't come to leave things the way they were. He came to change everything, and I think we need to lead in that struggle. All right, now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about kingdom for a moment. The very idea of kingdom is very foreign to modern-day America. We kind of left the whole monarchy thing in 1776, right? We kind of have a little fireworks display to remind us every year that we are not in a monarchy, that we are in a democracy, at least what we call a democracy. And so we have things like presidents and representative leadership. We have things like senators that were selected by the people. We have uh, assemblymen and assemblywomen, right? And we are baked in the idea that our opinion matters right? Our vote matters. We all believe that. We've been told that. However, we're talking about kings and kingdoms. Kings don't work that way. Kings are not representative government. Kings tell you their opinion, and that's it. They're not asking your opinion. They're doing what they believe is either right for them or right for their nation, but they're certainly not getting your opinion. You see, another name for a king is sovereign, 
We use that phrase to talk about God being in charge of everything. A king is supposed to be my way or the highway. It's not open for debate. I'll either shut you down or I'll take your head off. That's how it works. America is not used to that. So when we get into the Bible mindset and we start using king language, we use phrases like this, Jesus is my king. And you go, really? So you do everything he says? Well, not really. I mean, he's got good ideas, I've got good ideas. That is a very American attitude. Because that's not what a king means, right? That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? Meaning you're using the wrong definition then. You should say, Jesus is my advisor, <laughs> as opposed to Jesus is my king. So we're going to be in this king mindset. I need you to get back into that kind of old school. Maybe you have to get into the Disney mindset of kings, right? That many of us, because a king has to rule a land and a people. And so there's usually the little castle in the middle, right? And then the king hangs out there. And then all the land around it is his land. And then he's the king of this area and somebody's the king of that area. The same thing is true that every king has a people group, every king has a territory. All right. But we're now starting to talk about the supernatural. We're starting to talk about the spiritual. Now, I'm going to be laying out for you why the world is so messed up and how we have kingdom clashes and things like that. So I want to lay one foundation very clearly, and I need you to turn with me to Psalm 47.2. Psalm 47.2, whatever I'm about to say, one thing needs to be very baked into your heart. And we're going to learn that truth through Psalm 47.2. It's page 472, by the way, in the ESV under the seat in front of you. Psalm 47.2. The Old Testament was clear that there is only one universal king. Everyone else is a rebel king. There is one universal king. You can read along with me. For the Lord, or Yahweh, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us as Israel and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout the Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. There is only one master of the universe. There is only one king over all creation, and that is God. There is no equal. There is no similar. He is completely in a whole different realm to himself, right? Old Testament knew that. New Testament knew that. Listen to how Paul said this in Timothy, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and be honoring glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. One true king, 
everyone else is rebel kings. That doesn't mean they're not dangerous because anywhere a king leads, they can cause chaos. Anyone that is led by an authority, for most of the case, authority is merely a mind construct, right? For the idea that you would come in and we would say, I'm going to teach you today and you're going to sit here quietly and peruse the information, the idea of authority is really just in your head. There are no guards at the door, right? There's nobody holding you down. This is all a mind construct. So if I was a bad guy, I could distort and cause damage to your soul. So rebel kings are dangerous. But I need you to be clear that when I say that Satan is the king of this earth, I need to be clear he's a rebel king of this earth. God can do anything he wants at any time he wants. He always wins. Amen? All right. Now, that, yeah, amen. Let's, let's clap for God, right? Uh, come on. <clears throat> now, there's two kingdoms I want to talk about territorially, heaven, earth. Keep it simple. Heaven, earth. Up in heaven, everything is perfect as God wants it. Everything is exactly right. Those that dwell in heaven do everything that he tells them. Therefore, all of his blessings can flow unhindered. Remember, all good things come from God. The further you move away from God, the more bad stuff starts to happen. It is only when he has his full reign do we get all the glorious benefits and all the amazing resources. God is the source of everything good, right? In heaven, everything is going great. There was a day when it was only God. There was a whole time when it was only God, but then one day he decides to create a race of beings. We call them angels, but really there is a multitude of heavenly creatures. He creates this race. Everything is super cool as long as he leads, but then one day their biggest and baddest champion that God built, a man by the name, uh, excuse me, a, an angel, a cherub by the name of Lucifer, decides he doesn't want to follow that king anymore. He thinks he can be king. What happened? A war in heaven. You have a rebel king rise up and try to take over the throne. It didn't go well for him, right? He got smacked down super fast, and he had to go somewhere else because he was wrecking the blessing of God. So where's the other location he could go? Ta-da! Right here. So he was cast down to earth. Now he convinced one-third of that race to follow him, and so now we have the devil and we have demons. They are here. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the king of this world. He runs the show down here. We'll talk about that a little bit more in coming uh, series pieces. But I need you to know that when God created the kingdom of earth and starts fashioning things on this planet where Satan is, he starts out and everything is perfect. It was called what? Eden. Here he has God's people are hanging out with him, enjoying his presence, enjoying all his blessings. Why? Because when there is full obedience, there's full blessing. Everything was awesome. And then one day, someone else rolls in a talking snake. 
The talking snake says, hey, you do realize this whole king thing is all in your head. You can say no to him, right? I'm a talking snake. I said no to him, and I'm still here. And they were like, wait a second. I thought we had to do what he told us to do. Ah, all I'm saying is you don't. And they decide, so you're telling me that we can be kings of ourselves. He's like, that's right. And so they did. And they ate of the fruit, and what happened? The world broke, and everything started becoming dangerous and difficult and hurtful. That's what happens when mankind fights for the throne of God. It doesn't turn out very well. Now, we have all these conflicting kings on earth, so God decides to create two embassies. Do you know what an embassy is? An embassy is a, on foreign soil, a location that has all the same rights and resources as the motherland. So for example, if you are in Turkey, you can go to the American embassy and all the rights of America are within those walls. It is there in Turkey as it is in America. You all following? Oh, where, where do we get that language from? All right, here we go. God created two embassies. The first embassy he created was in the Old Testament called the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to create a people group for myself. There's a lot of competing kings out in the world, and there's a lot of hurt. I'm going to create a little bubble, an embassy, where it's supposed to be here on earth as it is in heaven. It's my embassy. Anyone should be able to come there and find out what heaven is like. If they are completely in obedience to me, my blessings can flow unhindered, and we can have an amazing reality. How did that go? Good for a while, and then not so awesome. So God created a second embassy. You know what that one's called? The church. Welcome to the embassy of God. But aren't we all clear that the church is not a building, right? So if we all vacate out of here, the church just moved, right? This is just a building. We inhabit. The church inhabits a building. Okay, if the church is people, where then does God dwell? In the people. You are now a walking temple. You are a walking embassy that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words... No matter what may be going on around here, the rules that apply are heavenly rules. The resources that apply are heavenly resources, right? The power that exists is heavenly power. We are not merely human. Ah, the Bible says that we become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? I don't know, but you got to figure that one out. So... We live in the broken now. We live in an era where Jesus is dismantling the kingdom of Satan and putting down the enemies of sin and death. Jesus is setting people free. We call that good news. If you ever wanted to know what the real gospel is, it's an invasion of the real sheriff coming back to town. That's the good news. You no longer have to be trapped in that which is evil. So, for example, God had his sights set on defeating three enemies, devil, sin, 
death. Jesus did something in each category when he showed up, did he not? First thing, let's talk about the devil. The Bible says that what he did on the cross put the enemy to public shame and spectacle on the cross. And that's why you saw Jesus kicking the demons out. What about death? Jesus dies and resurrects and says what? Now, in me, Christians never die, even though they physically die. All of a sudden, he took the biggest weapon that Satan had, which was the fear of death, over you, and he broke it and said, oh, he doesn't get to use that anymore. Oh, look, now you're going to be with me. And Paul says a phrase, what? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Oops, that ruined the enemy stuff. Then he says, about that sin thing, you do realize before you know me, you only have sin because you don't have another option. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I will die for your sins past, present, and future, so even that is not on you anymore. I even nailed that to the cross and died for all of your sins. Now, enemy, what do you got on my kids? You got nothing. Will I fix things more? Yes. But for right now, I just smacked you in the face, and I have done great things. My children live in that freedom. John 18, 36 says this. Jesus, talking to Pilate, said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, meaning if I was trying to rule this place physically, my servants would be fighting for me, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom's not from this world. Pilate said to him, oh, so you are a king. Jesus said, no, 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 you say I'm a king by the way you're thinking. Let me tell you why I'm really here. For this purpose I was born and this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. We are now in the broken now. There are good guys and bad guys, good kingdom and bad kingdom, and they're in a clash at all times. Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much loss? Why is there so much grief? Because you're in the broken now. You have a kingdom breaking through and another kingdom trying to hold on. But Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the kingdom, uh, excuse me, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Why are their gates already set up? Because Satan runs this place. But when you have the corresponding key to the kingdom, the gate doesn't stay locked. And you move out and people begin to be freed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, there is a multi-level plan that Jesus is going to enact to make sure everything gets cleaned up. So yes, he's gonna come back. Yes, he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. Yes, he's going to finish the job by wiping out the devil, his angels, full death, so now people don't die at all in any way. Every tear will be wiped away and everything will be right. But it takes a process. We're in the midst of that process, all right? Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6.13. Page 993, 1 Timothy 6, 13. 
I want you to get used to the concept of a kingdom of now, but not yet. A kingdom of now, but not yet. Kind of have that burned into your mind. A kingdom of now, but not yet. When you say, why is this still happening? We are in the kingdom of now, but not yet. Paul said this to his protege, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And I charge you in the name of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Who's going to display it? He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In other words, God is perfect and there is a perfect kingdom and it is on its way, but it's not here fully yet. But we got a down payment. We got to start. The majority of the series I will be teaching from here on out is about the kingdom of now. But let me just highlight that Jesus told many parables about the kingdom to come. For example, he said, when I show up, my enemies are going to be really surprised. I need you, my kids, to not be so surprised. I need you to be prepared. I need you to be ready. And so he would tell parables like this. There were 10 young ladies wanting to attend a wedding. As a matter of fact, they were the bridesmaids. But no one knew when the groom was going to show up because he was doing all sorts of stuff throughout town, and their job was to wait by the door. So when he finally gets his bride and brings her in, they can go into the party and take care of her. So they were told to wait by the door. But because they didn't know when he was going to show up, if it was nighttime or daytime, they were supposed to have oil lamps and extra oil on the side because it wasn't about them, it was about the one to come. Well, some of them took that seriously and some did not. Sure enough, they all fall asleep. In the middle of the night, someone says, I think the groom is coming. They all fire up their oil lamps, and some of them realize, I don't have enough. So they said to the other half, they said, give us some of yours. They said, I don't have enough for you and for me. I prepared for my lamp. And they said, well, then that means we have to go to Walmart. (laughs) And while they were gone, who shows up? The groom and the bride opens up the door. They all go in and have a party, and he locks it for security afterwards so when they return from Walmart, they're out. Jesus said, when I show up, I get to show up when I show up. It's not about you, and I need you to be prepared and ready when I show up. He would use parables like, you know how there's a tree and you would get little buds? They weren't the fruit yet, but they were like, oh, here comes some fruit. I just need you to be paying attention and watching how things are going. I don't need you to be paranoid. I don't need you to be searching the newspaper every day. I just need you to be ready. He told one other parable. He said, you know, there was a guy who went away and put his servants in charge, but he was gone so long, the servants started thinking this kingdom was their kingdom. They started mistreating people and messing with them, and suddenly the owner shows back up, and he's like, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing to my people? 
This is my kingdom, not your kingdom. He said, please don't be like that. When I show back up, I want to be proud of my kids, that they take me seriously and live as if I'm a reality. Do you understand how Jesus' parables are all about the kingdom? Here's how it works. All right. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? This revelation of this idea provokes the questions, how do we live into a kingdom of now but not yet? What did Jesus do when he showed up? How does the Holy Spirit's presence change our reality? Do you understand why we need a whole series to talk about this? Yeah, it's complicated. But I want you to write this down. If you take notes, I want you to write down this concept. I'm going to share the first part, and then I'll tell you what part to write down. If the kingdom of God is any location where God rules, then this is true. Write this down. You know where God rules by the level of obedience. You know where God rules by level of obedience. In other words, it's not information. It's obedience, not information. What's the difference between a demon and us? We're both created by God. We both have a lot of information, but only one surrenders. Demons know more theology than you. They know more Bible than you. The goal is not to merely amass intellectual knowledge. The goal is to surrender all. Amen? You guys, the Bible says that when we get saved, we've been given the right to become sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? It's been said like this, if God is the king and we are his children and not merely his subjects, then we not only have access to God, we have authority in his name and we can exercise power on his behalf. What does that look like? For all of you that are brand new folks, I just want to welcome you. I want to encourage you that this is a welcoming and healthy house. But I want to make sure you take that card out to the Welcome Center right here. As you go out these doors, there's a Welcome Center on the wall. Make sure to hand that to them, the smiley people. That's how you'll know who they are. And then if you have been here for six months or less and never got a chance to hang out with me and the staff, we're going to have Introducing Bridgeway right upstairs right after the service, and you can come join us. But let me finish by saying this. We have a prayer team here. It's quite a few of them. Their job and the reason why they are here is they are prayed up, brothers and sisters, to say we are ambassadors of the kingdom. If there is a kingdom need, I need a brother or sister to pray breakthrough in my life. I need to be able to have more of heaven here on earth. That's why they're here. Their job is to say whatever the need is that you have, they'll bring it before the Father in confidence, in faith, and begin to pray on your behalf. Is there anything that you have need of our Heavenly Father? Make sure to come on up for prayer afterwards. If you are just listening to me and you're like, man, that all sounds awesome, Pastor. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. They know that too. You can go up to them and say, I don't even know about Jesus, and they can start from the beginning and tell you the basics about Jesus. Today can be your first day in the kingdom. All you gotta do is come forward and talk with them. Amen? Let me close by praying over you. I'll dismiss you. Heavenly Father, you do great things. Everything you do is awesome and wonderful. We want to join in with you. May your kingdom come, your will be done now 
on earth as it is in heaven. Not just in our hearts, Lord, but through our lives. So I pray, Father, whatever your reality is for this new kingdom, I pray that it would be so here at Bridgeway, that it would be so here through all the churches that love you in our region, that, God, we would begin to see an explosion of darkness fleeing and kingdom of light building in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your kindness, your patience, your love, and we ask that you might be glorified through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.